Well, I want to take just a moment here and um, kind of take a little bit of a break. We don't always do this, but um, it's important for us to, to give honor where honor is due. You may not know this, although I think you do. Um, you know, every single week we have people who serve the Lord here at Centerpoint Bible Church in many, many ways. From prayer and worship leading, teaching, setting up the room, um, in youth ministry, in children's ministry, in nurseries. It's just across the board. I mean, there's all people behind the scenes right now, back in the back room, counting our offering, taking care of all that finance stuff. I mean, it just, the, the amount of things that happen to make a church like ours just continue to function is just, it's just overwhelming. And so for this week and the next couple of weeks, our passage that we're studying is now shifting from our marriage today into our families. And so what we're going to do as a church is I want us to take these three weeks and just shine some light on the the children and the youth ministry in our church. And so to give us an idea of the number of families that are impacted by these ministries, we're going to do a couple things over the next three weeks. Like next week, I need every single one of you, if you have a child from birth through 12th grade, to make sure they're here, okay? For several reasons, but one of them is this. Next week, from during, the, during our service right now, we're going to have... All the children, ages 0 through 5th grade, come up here on the stage, and we're going to have a special little sermon for them, okay? And I want you to be part of that by just observing. So that's next week. You need to bring them, okay? Make sure they're here. We'll have a lot of fun with them, all right? But here's what I want to do for today. I'm going to have you do what you don't like to do, because you're all comfortable, okay? I'm going to have you get up in just a minute, and I'm going to have you move to a different place in the room. And you're going to be there just briefly, okay? Just briefly. And where I want you to go, I want you to think about um, where do you have a child in the ministries of Centerpoint Bible Church? A child or a grandchild? Now, we have a lot of different ministries that are going on, and some of you already are thinking, oh, man, I have them all over the place. Okay, you can go to wherever's closest for you, okay? Wherever's closest for you. A, a child or a grandchild. So here's how we've labeled our ministries, all right? Over here, we're going to have the tiny focus. Do we have a tiny focus group? That's zero through a very tiny number, okay? I think these are, are handheld. Is that right? Through two, okay. See, we need to learn this stuff, zero through two. That's right over here. And then the back there, we're going to have the toddler focus. That's the toddlers, which are two and three, okay? Two and three, right? You're going to go right back there. You can do, if you have multiple, you can just pick where you want to go, all right? And now here in the middle, we're going to have, if you have middle schoolers, okay, if that's where you're picking, and then high schoolers, and then the back of the room back there, other. I'm very close to other. I'm very, very close. I love, I love them, but I'm, it's very close. We are very close to other, all right? So that back there might be, maybe, you, maybe your nest have em, has emptied. May, maybe, maybe God didn't see fit to bring children into your life. I don't know what it might be, but, but that, right back there. And then over here, we're going to have, let's see, kids focus. No, I'm sorry, kinder focus right here. Kinder focus. This is four and five. Pre-K and K. Is that it? Pre-K and K, all right? You'll be right back there. And then kids' focus is first through fifth grade. 
All right? So you got a place in mind? Okay, now don't go yet. When you go there, when you go there, meet somebody there that you've never talked to before, exchange their names, and then listen for me to get your attention. All right? So you got a place you're going to go? All right, get up and go. All righty, if I can have your attention, if I can grab your attention. So I want you to notice a couple things. It just, it's just how, just this particular morning, this is how we divide it up. I, I see groups across the room, okay, from tiny little ones as they progress up and get a little bit older. Over here, a little bit older, all the way into elementary school. And then we have this large group right here in the middle of the middle school and the high school. Folks, we've got a lot of people, a lot of families, and a lot of children that are part of our church. And we cannot cannot forget the fact that we are literally right now surrounded by the four establishments that this whole community comes to on a regular basis. Elementary, intermediate, middle, high school, right here. God has given us the blessing of a ministry. And we as Centerpoint Bible Church need to take advantage of that. I'd encourage you, think about who it is that serves with your children or grandchildren. And thank them today. Thank them for the ministry they have with your family. Because they are a blessing. All right? Okay, go ahead and head back to your seat. Just continuing to kind of update you on where we're at as a church. At our meeting at the end of January, the congregation made a significant decision for us as our uh, elder team led 
um, to pursue, begin pursuing a full-time student ministry pastor here at Centerpoint Bible Church. I want to give you just a quick update about how that's going and a way that you can be praying. First of all, over on the table is a sheet of paper that I emailed out to those that asked for it, and it kind of gives an overview of where we're at on the progress of of seeking out a uh, future student pastor for us. I have in my email box several resumes and probably a handful that we are going to now start the process of moving forward um, and making a decision and seeking the Lord's wisdom on that. I ask you to pray for us, that God would bring the right man here to minister to our students. Now that person, their primary ministry will be with the middle and high school, but they will also have oversight of our elementary age as well to kind of provide some direction for that. So it's a big step for our church. We expect that it probably will take about another four months at least for that process to be wrapped up. It takes a long time to go through that. But in the meantime, we want to be ministering to our middle and high school students. So I have a friend here, Scott Bradley. Come on up here, Scott. And um, Scott and I have known each other for over 20 years at least. Um, Is that right? Something like that? At least. And um, Scott is a, he's been a lot of things, okay? He's a husband. Where's your wife? Right over there. Okay. Wow, she actually admitted it. Yeah, she did. She did. He's a husband. He's been a youth pastor. He's been a missionary. And now he's, now he's a trained biblical counselor. And he's going to be in the community for, for a while. And so I, I sought out Scott, and we sought out each other. It was kind of neat the way the Lord sort of worked this out. And I said, Scott, we, we have a need right now. We have a need for just sort of an, an interim student pastor. Could you, could you pray about helping us out? And we've been talking about this and praying about it for some time. And I'm excited to say that Scott is going to step in for us in this period of time that we are seeking out a, a student pastor. Scott's going to step in in this time of ministry transition for he and his wife and carry that load. So, Scott, why don't you introduce yourself and, and share your heart just a little bit with us. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here um, I just, um, I'm excited about the next few months. Uh, this was not on my radar screen a month ago. I just made a huge transition from moving from Lynchburg, Virginia to working um, at a uh, place in Leesburg, Virginia. And so right now I'm hanging out with my mom and dad, Randy and Susan Bradley, and um, just trying to figure out where is the best place for me to belong, my wife as well, um, as far as a home church. And come to find out based on the relationship that Lowell and I have and Pastor Billy and I have for years and years and years. And knowing that I still have a heart and a passion for young people, both middle school and high school students. And realizing that there was an opportunity for me to step in for a little bit and to be a support and to be an encouragement. The elder board has been a huge encouragement and support to me by um, allowing me to come on board. And so I am just really, really stoked. I'm excited. Um, The heart, my... The passion and fire in my heart for students is still burning. And people told me one time when I first got into youth ministry that youth ministry was simply a stepping stone to being a senior pastor. And from the very beginning, I never thought that. I never thought that. I had never, no desire to ever be a senior pastor. Nothing against senior pastors. That's all right. Um, But having an opportunity, and and all that came based on the type of influence that I had as a teenager growing up with individuals coming into my life um, and wanting to be able to do that and be that as well. So over 20 years of working with students here in Martinsburg and Chicago, 
Um, my wife and I spent about five or six years over in Europe working with international students, and now I've transitioned into a, another a type of job. But I'm just really excited. And one of the things that is really exciting to me about coming on board here is the foundation that's already been set. Pastor Billy and his wife, they have worked hard, and I'm so thankful for their faithfulness. I love Billy. I call him Gilbert because I can, and I just absolutely <laughs> love Billy. And for the foundation that he and his wife have laid here from the beginning with the student ministry, there is a quality youth staff that's here that's working behind the scenes on Sunday mornings with Focus Group. We have Rob and Monica. I've known Rob. Rob and I went to Bible college for a little bit. Hey, Rob, it's good to see you, buddy. Um, Rob taught me everything I don't know about basketball. Um, <laughs> Josh and Carrie and what they're doing with, with uh, middle school and then Neil and Rachel. My goodness, I cannot believe that Rachel's on youth staff. I first met Rachel when, when she was born. And, um, and she was even able to come and to hang out with our youth group in Chicago um, for a bit and stuff. So I'm excited to come along beside these individuals and these couples and to be a support to them. But obviously the focus here is our middle school and high school students. So I'm looking forward to getting to know you guys and young ladies I'm getting to, looking forward to getting to know you as parents. Um, Heather and I, we don't have kids of our own. Um, and oftentimes people are like, Scott, what, is, what do you know about parenting? You've never been a parent before. And I'm so thankful for over the 20 plus years of being able to come alongside of families, parents especially, whether families that are Christian or families that want nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll give you five reasons why. And you're like, wow, that's, that's pretty convincing. And so I'm looking forward to coming along and partnering with you as a mom and a dad. I want to be able to support you. I want to be able to encourage you. I want to be able to be there for you in any way that I can. So I'm excited about these next few months. I'm excited about the future of the student ministry here at Centerpoint and this guy that's going to be coming. We don't know who he is, but please begin praying for him. And if he has a fiance, if he has a wife, if he has a family, please begin to pray that God will allow the right man to come at the right time. This church loves family. It's very obvious to me from the very beginning. And um, not only do you guys say that, but you actually are acting on that. And I'm really stoked. I'm excited to be part of that. I'm excited to get to know you. And uh, I'm going to need the encouragement as well. So um, I know next Sunday evening, I think, there's an actually a youth activity. Mm-hmm. We're going snow tubing. Um, that should be interesting. Man, when I was 24 years old, I was a good snow tuber. Now at the age of 40-something, we'll, we'll see. Um, so I'm really hoping that um, there's good health insurance here for me. That's not funny, y'all. So, um, so anyway, so looking forward to um, meeting each and every one of you teenagers. I'm excited. I'm excited. So, and parents as well. So thank you. Excellent. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you for your work. I thank you for Scott and Heather and their life. And Lord, how they have just um, lived in submission to you, seeking your leadership. And Lord, you uh, you have provided and led them literally all over the world. And we thank you for that. Now, Lord, we want to look in your word. And we ask that you would challenge our hearts And show us who you are and who we are in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to mention, Scott referenced the tubing event. There are um, some of these papers 
over on the table over there. I know they were passed out in the ministry this morning for the, for the middle and high school, but if you didn't get one of those, I'll make sure they're over there on the table. You need to have a, a release form for that, meeting at 5.30 at Walmart, so be aware of that. Well, one of the blessings of my life has been the number of wedding ceremonies I've got to be part of. Um, I tell you, it just, uh, it's because of the different roles that I've been in, God has given me a lot of opportunities to stand up here when couples were getting married. I see a bunch of you out there, and um, what, what a joy that is. And it's my joy today to talk about what that really means and what that's really about. Open up your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 5. You know, marriage is funny. I mean, we're all drawn to it in some way. You know, children kind of dream about it, maybe little girls more than little boys, but teenagers wonder about it, and singles, they long for it, and the married struggle through it. But it's something that we should celebrate, marriage. When you think about what it is, it's, it's two people who make a decision to, to fly in the face of culture that's saying marriage doesn't matter and all that. They fly in the face of that and they come before the Lord and their friends and their family and witnesses and they commit their lives to each other. I mean, the Bible calls it a blessed thing, a sacred thing. But the Bible also calls it a mysterious thing. You know what the Bible calls your marriage a mystery? Now, not like Scooby-Doo and the mystery machine, okay? Not that kind of mystery. But a mystery which in the Bible means something that was previously unknown but now has been made known. We'll talk more about that as we go in our time together today. It's a secret from before that's now been revealed. Your marriage and what it means and what it's about and how God views it before you didn't really know what it was. You just kind of thought maybe it was the thing you're supposed to do, right? I share with you the reason why I got married last week wasn't the greatest reason, but God worked. I thought my wife was attractive, so we got married. She was okay with me, so she was willing. See, we didn't know then. We didn't know the secret of marriage. Now, I don't mean secret like the key that turns the lock, so then your marriage works. I mean... What God knows about your marriage that will be revealed to you today through God's word. Two people come together before the event. They're two separate individuals. They have their past lives, their interest, and everything that there was. And they come together and they become one. One Flesh. Two individuals, sinners, separated. And God makes them one. 
And what we need to see today, here's sort of the foreshadowing of what the mystery is. It's a picture of us and Christ. Us and Christ. We come to the altar, and there's God on the other side, standing next to us. We're separated. We are different. We, we, we are opposed to one another. But God brings us together and makes us one. Something I always say in premarital counseling is your wedding is really a funeral. What? Why do you say that? I mean, in many ways, it's a celebration, and we celebrate, and we have a piece of cake, and all that kind of stuff. But on that day, when you got married, was the death of you. You, singular you, died that day. So it's a funeral. Oh, but it's a joyous birth. Because at that moment, there's a new person, a new creature, a a new union that is now formed. You came as two, but now you are one. And that's why Jesus himself said, let man, what? Not separate it. Not. Ephesians chapter 5 is a great passage of scripture. It may feel overwhelming. It it may feel like I can't really live this. You, You may feel sinful and hopeless and needy today. Especially when we consider your marriage. You might be on the very edge of your marriage ending. This morning, you might have said to your spouse, it's over. When we, 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 it's over. I'm going to find an attorney. We're done. I'm not silly enough or foolish enough to think that those kind of arguments don't happen on Sunday morning. I know. It's hard to get to church, right? Get the kids all dressed and out the door on time. It's hard and you say things you don't mean. We want you to mean things you don't say. Understand that it might be you're on the edge today. I want to give you hope that the greatest ally you have, that it is is God's will that your marriage reflect him. You have God in your corner this morning. Let's read Ephesians 5. I'm going to read the whole passage, all right? Because this this will be our wrap-up of this section. So I'm going to read 22 to 31, or 33, that is. So follow along with me or, or just listen. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, just as quick review, and if you want to hear this, I think you can probably find it on the website. We've talked about the difference between roles and relationships. And I'll share with you that, that I come, as I read the Bible and understand it, I, I have a complementarian view of the gender roles in the home and in the church. And we've, we've compared and contrasted this with the egalitarian view. I think, there we go, thank you. Now, these are theological terms that have theological meanings. And you, you need to be careful you don't get them confused out in the world. In the world, I'm egalitarian. All people are equal, of course. Men and women are equal, of course. They're fellow image bearers, of course. But when it comes to gender roles in the home and in the church, God has delineated clear roles. And that's what a complementarian view of gender roles means. It doesn't mean this one is stronger than the other, or one rules over the other, or one, one rules with a heavy hand. No. They complement one another. They complement. And that complement doesn't depend upon gifting or ability. It depends upon a calling of the Lord. And so men and women are equal Tell me they aren't, and I'll practically fight you over that. They are equal. They're equal before Christ, before God. We are co-heirs, definitely. But there are gender roles that God has put in place. And so, husbands, you are called to serve as the leader, to serve Not take, but to serve as the leader in your home. To lead means to initiate is what it means. So you are seeking ways to initiate service in your home. That's what it means. See, it doesn't mean get me a glass of iced tea. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean Ward Cleaver coming home after a busy day in his suit jacket and June running around cooking and cleaning and all that and Ward sitting there giving the beeve counsel. That's not what it means either. It means, men, you are to initiate leadership in your home. God has called you to that. Not Lowell, not the culture, God's words, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, as the church submits to Christ, wives, they follow you because husbands, you are the head of the wife. Not all women. Not all women. Listen, I look out here and I see a lot of you ladies. And you are smarter than me and you are probably stronger than me. And you could do much more than I ever could. I know that. So this is not you. 
listen to me. That's not what it is. It's in my home. You see, it's in the home. It's not, men, you are the leader of all women. doesn't say that. doesn't say that. It says that husbands are the head of their wife. In my home, I initiate leadership. And wives, you follow that leadership. And it, and it energizes, it energizes your, your relationship. It's what God has called you to. Now, it is not by mistake here. That this passage heavily emphasizes the call to husbands. When you read 22 through 33, if this is God's counsel to married spouses, I want you to notice that only one verse really directs the wife on what she's supposed to do. Because it doesn't go into her role. Go to my next slide, please. This passage does not describe the role of a wife. It describes her response to his role. He is given the role of head in this home. She, in this passage, is given the response to his role. You see, you have to go elsewhere to find her role. Genesis 2. Her role is to come alongside like a lifesaver. Now, Genesis 2.18 says, helper. And in our culture, that means something negative. But in the Jewish Hebrew mind, the only other person that's called a helper is the Lord, God. Psalm 121, listen, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's what God has called you, wives. He needs it, doesn't he? He needs it. See, we need each other. So, don't, so be careful here that we don't get this all mixed up. And be careful that you don't take your signals from the culture around you. Here's two signals to watch out for. Okay, You put the aluminum hat on to keep these from bouncing into your brain. Okay, First of all is this. First signal to avoid that this is misogynistic, that this is down with women, that this is men rule. No. Jesus dealt with that in Luke chapter 22. He said, you don't lead like the pagans lead. The pagans lead because they're the beneficiary of leadership. They benefit from being the leader. The leader among you is to be a servant. It's not rule. This is husbands. You are the head of your wife as Christ is the head of the church. I've heard of men who have said, you know, I, I just knew too much. I, I, she, she's just too difficult. You, you don't know, Lowell. She's just, you don't know what she's like. I, I, I cannot put up with it. I, the call to love her is too great. I can't love her that much. The example, men, the model of your love is Jesus Christ. Have you loved her that much? Have you been nailed to a cross? Hang there and die? Have you done that? I think not. I have maybe wives who say, you don't know what this guy's like. 
You, you, don't, you cannot imagine what this man is like. He's a jerk, and I can't stand him, and all, and all this stuff. Really? We are called to submit one to another, and you, in your, in your home, you're called to follow his leadership. I'll come alongside and help you. I will. I have. I, I would love for you, I would love to be able to put a video up on the screen of some of the conversations that I've got to be part of with difficult husbands. I walk away, I'm like, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Men, women, husbands, wives. This is God's call for us. Now today, what I want to focus on is the mystery though. Look with me at verse number 32. It says, this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, here's the theological definition of the word mystery. The Greek word is mysterion, okay? It is mystery. And so all we do in English to get the word mystery is take the Greek letters from mysterion and make them into English. And you get the word mystery. And it means a private, eternal decision of God concerning his saving work and his ultimate purpose in history, which is revealed stage by stage. So it's a revealed secret. That's what a mystery in the Bible is. And this word is used throughout your Bible. Because what happened in the progress of revelation, God revealed a little bit more and revealed a little bit more and revealed a little bit more. And each time he revealed something... What he revealed was, is that thing is called a mystery. Does that make sense? In Mark chapter 4, listen to what Jesus says. Just so you get the idea here. Jesus said, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything else will be in parables. Remember when Jesus started teaching in parables? Because he was revealing to his disciples secrets about the kingdom of God. Or mysteries. That's what this is. Here's another mystery. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but some of us will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's a mystery. Now, why is it a mystery? Not because, ooh, what's the answer, Scooby? That's not what it means. What it means is prior to 1 Corinthians 15, people didn't know about the rapture. That's what that's talking about. People didn't know about it. They they didn't know. God hadn't revealed that yet in the progress of Revelation. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, he says, this is a mystery. It's now revealed to you. So it's kind of like somebody goes, shh, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here. Got a secret for you. That's what this word mystery means. And in Romans 16, it is the very gospel. Let me read it to you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. See, this is what this word mystery means. It's something that has always been true. It was in the eternal plan of God. It's always been true. God was always going to rapture out his believers. It's always been true that Jesus was going to share his truth with the apostles. It's always been true that the gospel is the gospel. Nobody's been saved any other way. And it's always been true that your marriage 
is a picture of Christ and the church. See, this is a big deal. Your marriage is a huge deal. Look what it says in the passage. Back to your Ephesians 5, right? Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, cares for his own flesh, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. So what Paul, what the Spirit of God is having Paul do here is he's going from marriage and driving us to our relationship with Christ and us seeing in our relationship with Christ what God intended marriage to reveal. It's about us and Jesus. It's not really about your happiness. It's not really about your needs being met. It's about the body of Christ. We are members of his body. Your marriage means a great deal. It means that God has invited you to his universal body of believers. And the kind of relationship that you have with him is to be emulated in our lives. Not only in our marriage relationship, but even in this local body. You see, our relationships aren't about us. And we at Centerpoint, we're serious about your relationship in your marriage and serious about your relationship in the body. I'm glad you made that point, Pastor Lowell. Okay. March 4th, just in a few weeks... We're going to have something called Centerpoint 201. If you want to understand who you are as God's creation, if you want to want to understand the Centerpoint body and how God made our church, if you want to understand your purpose as a member of God's plan, in God's plan and in part of his body, if you want to understand how you can have purpose in our local body, Come to Centerpoint 201 on March 4th. All right, you heard him. Man, we've got to do that. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Billy. What do we see about this relationship? First of all, I want you to notice that this relationship, be it in the marriage relationship, in the body relationship, in your relationship with God, is one of trust and tenderness. Trust and tenderness. See what it says here. That we are part of this body. We are members of this body. That, that the husband is called here to nourish and cherish as Christ does the church. Folks, our marriage is meant to reflect our relationship with God. You got that, right? That's the mystery. I hope you got that. You didn't just get married. You became a picture book of God and his church. And it's to be a relationship of trust and tenderness. Now, what I've been saying over the last three or four weeks about marriage requires trust. I don't know what kind of state your marriage is in. I don't know. But I'm asking you to trust enough to continue there. 
Men, you trust, you, you, you strike out to do what this passage calls you to do. Nourish and cherish as Christ does the church. You step out by faith and initiate. And you may say, I've tried that before, Lowell. She doesn't follow. This is a relationship. Is that how God works with you? This is a relationship of trust and tenderness. Does God say, that's enough. That's enough with you. I'm giving up on you. Does God do that with you? No. Go ahead, men. Initiate. Trust her enough. Trust her enough that God is working. Are you married to a woman who has a good heart, a, a, a heart that's sensitive? I think that, you, I think that you are. You believed you were that day when you stood up here. Right? Go ahead. Be tender. Nourishes and cherishes. Be tender. This is what God calls us to. But I also want us to move on and see the next thing that we see about this. And it's really maybe the main point of this passage. It's at verse number 31. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We need to see that this is a relationship of trust and tenderness, but it's also a relationship, of, and then this is very important, of unity and permanence. Unity and permanence. I'm standing here today to speak against the culture that's telling everybody and everywhere, if you're not fulfilled, if you're not happy, then maybe you ought to give it another try. And I'm telling you, that's not what God's word is teaching. This relationship is one of unity and permanence. Let me deal with unity first. Leave father and mother. We leave and cleave. One of the biggest struggles that married couples have, I've been dealing with this for 20 years with folks, is that relationship with the in-laws. We leave and we cleave. Leave and cleave. Like a cleaver? Not really, no. More like, more like cement. The emphasis is not upon the breaking away. The emphasis is upon the cleaving. Like cement. So there's still responsibility. There's still responsibility with the parents. But now the priority is in the home with the spouse. There's, there's still that responsibility, but there's not that authority in our lives. And so we run to one another, not to mom and dad. See, there's a new unity now. There's a new unity that now it says we're in this together. The two of us, we're in this together. And we're going to chase after the Lord together. But also, there is permanence. Now, we need to understand something. And I, and I know what I'm going to say may sting some people. And so I want to just preface it with this. What I'm getting ready to say applies to the marriage that you are in right now. Some of you have made a mistake in the past. Okay? I understand that. So do you. But you are married now. It is not God's will for you to run back to that previous spouse. It's not God's will. Your call is to respond to the marriage that you're in now. And I want you to know something. God hates divorce. 
He hates it. Malachi 2.16, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. He will continue to hate it. He will always say it. I want you to notice in this passage here, where does the Spirit of God go? He goes to the beginning. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, but hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's always been that way. From Adam and Eve to Paul and beyond, God has always hated divorce. It's not his plan. No, it's not. You may be considering it. You may be thinking about it. You may be working through it. And I'm telling you, it is not God's plan. He hates it. He does. Ask a divorced person, how'd that go for you? It's always pain. It's always struggle. He hates divorce on any terms and for any reason. You hear that? He hates divorce on any terms and any reason. You can't get more wide stated than, I hate divorce. Now understand, he will tolerate it in some circumstances. But we got to recognize that is only because of the hardness of man's heart. He will forgive it as he forgives any other sin, but he will never change his hatred for it. I want to show you this in Scripture. Go to Matthew. Go with me now to Matthew chapter 9. And I want us to see the way man thinks. I want us to see the way God thinks. Matthew chapter 9. You should turn there. And see now these are the words of Jesus. And I want you to see that they go beyond culture. They go beyond circumstances. They go beyond man's intuition. And they are the word of God. Matthew chapter, did I say 9? Because I meant to say 19. Sorry. Matthew chapter 19. Verse number 3. And the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they tested him and they said, and parenthetically here, revealing the thought of the day. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? See, that's what man was thinking. If I'm not happy, I'm out of here. Is it lawful for any cause to divorce one's husband, one's wife? Jesus says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus here, just just by the way, in verse four and five, affirming creation, affirming gender, affirming gender roles, affirming the permanence of marriage. We see the heart of Jesus here. We, We know now what Jesus believes about marriage and about gender. We know what Jesus thinks. Verse number seven, they said, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Why did Moses command this? Now watch what Jesus says. Now listen, let me me read their question again and now you're gonna get my point. Why then did Moses command this. Did you hear that emphasis? Jesus answered, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed. 
or permitted, your translation may say, you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Folks, this is not God's will. He always hates divorce. There are some times, and I would say, as I read scripture, this is one of them where you have this this pattern of repeated, unrepentant adultery. That's a moment when God says, because of your hardness of heart, I will tolerate it. I won't like it. I'll hate it. But I will tolerate it. Listen what I said. Repeated, unrepentant adultery. That's a time. Because remember, it represents our relationship with Christ, right? It represents our relationship with Christ. How many times does Jesus forgive us? How many times does he say, you are mine? Some would say to me, oh, but in Jeremiah, I'll turn here with you. Some would say to me, in Jeremiah chapter 3, why don't you go find it, okay? In Jeremiah chapter 3, we have God divorcing Israel. Go with me in Jeremiah chapter 3. See, this is not, if I were saying this on my authority, I'd be run out of here on a rail, right? But this is God's authority. Jeremiah chapter 3. God gave a decree of divorce to Israel. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse number 8. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had her sent away with a degree of divorce. And some people like to get all excited about that and say, see, God divorced. You need to remember what this was. This was generations, literally hundreds of years of spiritual adultery. Generations of adultery. But you can't stop there. Look at verse number 11. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on on you in anger, for I am merciful. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice. Return, O faithless Israel, declares the Lord, for I am your husband, is what it says. ESV translates that master, but it's the word husband. God hates Divorce, folks, and the culture around us loves it. And the attorneys are becoming wealthy through it. And every, everybody you know around you practically is living it. But our marriage represents us and Christ. So it's worth it. It's worth it. I ask you this. What if you got to heaven? Imagine you're now in heaven. And God now brings you forward. There you stand before the risen Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to you, I know your marriage was tough. I know you were married to a difficult person. But let me show you how you glorified me by continuing to love, by continuing to honor, by continuing to be faithful. Look at the glory 
And then God said this. Jesus says, so was it worth it? Was it worth it? I want you to know that in your resurrected body at that moment, you will say, worthy is the lamb. Folks, there is a bigger picture at play here. That's the mystery. That's the secret. You are displaying the glory of God in your marriage. The marriage that you're in right now. It is a picture book of Jesus and his church. And through you, glory has been given to God. Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when you're suffering, keep honoring him. To wrap, go back to Ephesians 5. Unity, permanence. Verse number 32 and 33. It's profound. This mystery is profound. It's got deep meaning. It refers to Christ and the church. So verse 33. Now the word however there is a word that means in summary. It's almost like, you know, the Spirit of God has just poured out his heart. And now he says, so let me wrap it all up for you and put a big bow on it. Let each of one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, this is supposed to be a relationship of love and humility. And love believes the best. And love keeps no record of wrongs. And love always hopes. And love always perseveres. Don't give up. Don't give up. His arm is not too short. Don't you give up. Do you hear God's spirit? Speak into your heart. Keep on trusting him. Not him. Him. Keep trusting him. It's a secret. Your marriage is showing what it looks like for Christ to be united with sinful people. I know she's difficult. Listen, okay. She's hard. That's all right. She nags at you or she says mean things to you. Okay. They said the mean things to Jesus. They pulled out his beard. They slapped his face. They nailed him to a cross. Don't give up. That's the secret. You represent Jesus and his church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, encourage our hearts today. May we see the wonder of what you've done. Lord, that you have called us your own. You have called us your bride. You have called us your children, Lord. You love us with an everlasting love. May we reflect your glory, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.